The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show on UltimateSportsTalk.com. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on for tonight's program as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Happy 4th of July to everyone. Hope you got out this weekend or are going out tonight, taking along your smartphones, of course, and listening to Mark and I as we talk about the Reds and the Indians as you partake in the picnics and of course the fireworks going on this evening around Ohio and the entire country. We're going to talk about the Reds and of course the Indians 14 game winning streak coming to an end on Saturday and in order to do that we've got to invite in our resident Reds expert from down south Mark Donahue. Mark how are you tonight? Happy 4th of July David. Same to you. Yeah I I think um I think the Indians are done. I mean, they lost the game. And, uh, they lost two. I know. And I, and I think that's the beginning of the end now. It's over. You had your run. <clears throat> and now the, the cratering you are going to hear are the Indians fans running for cover. And I, <clears throat> I want to know, Dave, for all of us want to know, your, your penchant for, uh, changing your mind about the Indians. Now, during a 14 game winning streak, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I think the, the Indians are going to win it. Now, if they go on a five- or six-game losing streak, what is the Dave Mitchell position going to be in the Indians then? You know, it's funny that you bring that up, Mark, because um, not that it's funny, but, I mean, a 14-game winning streak is one thing. But it's what you do after that, I think, that is the most important thing. Now, the Indians, they really sacrificed Saturday's game even though I want to get into Saturday's game and a couple of things that I think really led to the loss there, and even Friday's game, the 19-inning the affair, which was a marathon, which, matter of fact, Mark, that was the longest game the Indians had played. Here's a little tidbit of information for you. Since 1995, against the Minnesota Twins at then Jacobs Field, now Progressive Field, Mark, I was at that game. I was at that 19-inning game, and I sat through all 19 innings. How much weight did you gain? Because I'm sure you ate the whole, <laughs> whole, all 19 innings. I, I could say this, that the gentleman I was with and I, of course, I was married at the time. I'm no longer married. But um, our wives were none too happy with us. That was on a Sunday. They were none too happy with us when we got home that we stayed for that entire game. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. No wonder you're not you. married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was a it was a very entertaining ball game on Friday, Mark. The 19 inning affair, and I know a lot of people, especially up here in Cleveland, we've got one radio announcer that just absolutely hates extra innings. He'd like to see baseball do what hockey does, and maybe play one extra inning and then have a home run derby to satisfy a game because he thinks that extra inning affairs go too long. But I don't know what the longest game you've ever sat through, Mark, but to be be honest, I thought it was a great game. Well, the guy who wants to go to a home run derby is an idiot. Uh, you know, part, part of baseball is the fact that you don't have a clock or you don't have in, these impending rules. You play till somebody wins. And, yeah, it, it can be uh, – you know, nobody wants to sit through 19 innings. But I, I have – yeah, I've been to extra inning games, and, and they can be very exciting. I mean, it's sudden death in many cases, and um, I see no reason to even consider changing the rules. I, I think I remember going down to Cincinnati, and <clears throat> it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think I was in college, actually, and it was a 16-inning game, and the Reds ended up losing that game. I think uh, Willie Stargell hit a home run to win that game. But, um, yeah, I... I see no reason to even 
consider changing the rules. But, uh, you know, back to the Indians, when you have a 14-game winning streak like that, uh, you, you've gone from a 162-game schedule to a 148-game schedule. And, and you've got to look at it if you have a, if you win the first 14 games of the year. That changes the entire season. And a 14-game winning streak does set the Indians up that unless they had a catastrophic meltdown, uh, it's almost impossible for them not to win 90 to 93 games this year. Almost impossible. So th- that is a huge part of, of a season, uh, almost 10% of the season, and and they go undefeated in that section. So you look at their their win-loss record today, and you look at their competition, and they could arguably play a little over 500 ball or even 500 ball and have a chance to win the division and certainly a chance to win the wild card. So uh, that was a huge run. You're right. They've lost a couple games since then. But back it up and look what they've done over the last 20 games. And that that's a big chunk of the season, and, and they've, they've played – extremely well, and uh, I think they're in a good position to uh, certainly win the wild card and, and almost probably win the um, the division. Mark, a couple of questions just to add credence to what you're saying. How many wins do you think it takes to get into the playoffs? What, it all depends what d- uh, division. Well, let's say the Central Division of the American League. Uh, th- that's such a competitive division. I think you can probably get into the playoffs and the wild card uh, with 88 okay. games. How, how many? How many wins? If you're if you're a contender, how many wins do you want to average over the length of the six months of the baseball season per month? Uh, What's a good goal? I think. Let me see. Fifteen. Okay. Here, here's where you here's where you are with the Indians right now. If they finish 500 through the rest of the year, they end up with 91 wins. So right, right there you go. As far as your 15 wins in a season, or in a, in a month, I'm sorry, the Indians finished, Mark, 22 and 6 in the month of June. That was the most wins that, that they've ever had in a month. The most. And that was the longest winning streak, the 14-game winning streak, the longest one in the American League since the A's won 20 in a row in 2002. Well, look at the competition, too. you got the White Sox, uh, you, you got the Royals, and in terms of their, their probabilities, let them play 500 the rest of the year and look at their schedules and look at their records. Right. You know, the, the, what the Indians did in June was really throw down the gauntlet to the rest of the division and say, guys, you've got to play 600 ball the rest of the year to even catch us. Now, the, the, the problem is you, in the wild card, obviously, if you have a very tough division, uh, like, like the National League Central, well, not, normally the National League Central, this year the Cubs are running away with it, but when you have three teams in a division that are very good, they beat each other up, <clears throat> which means their probability of getting to the wild card is not great. So it, it, they, because they they don't give each other seven, eight, nine losses, and that's that's going to hurt in your at the end of the year, as opposed to a team that is in a very weak division where they could win uh, they could win eighty eight games, but the rest of the division doesn't play five hundred ball. Uh, they have a chance to, to go to the playoffs. So there are some <clears throat> hiccups in that selection process. But uh, I, I think the Indians, unless they had a meltdown, and I mean a meltdown, uh, they're going to have a pretty good chance to, to certainly be in the playoffs and most likely win the division. Mark, something I want to get back to the Indians here in just a moment and a couple of things that, that do disturb me as far as the Indians are concerned and then Major League Baseball. But I, I want to go to something here that has something to do with the Reds, and that is the fact that Steven Strasburg yesterday for the Nationals was pulled from the game after six and two-thirds innings, throwing 109 pitches by Dusty Baker, and he still had a no-hitter going. Now, Mark, this was his first start after coming off the DL, but his stint on the DL had nothing to do with his arm. 
You and I got all over the Nationals three years ago when they shut down Strasburg in the middle of a pennant-winning season, in which you and I both thought, had they had Strasburg pitching in the playoffs, that they would have been able to maybe not only win the National League, but win the World Series championship. You know, I've got the feeling, Mark, that Washington just babies this guy too much. You know, there comes a point where a guy has got to hit a wall, and if he doesn't break through that wall, Mark, yeah, that wall is going to be always an impediment. Well, in this particular case, I mean, I, I agree with, with you and, and us when we discussed this back in 2012 with Strasburg. I think they should have pitched him. He wanted to pitch. His agent wanted him to pitch. The fans wanted him to pitch. But in this case, at the time he was pulled, I think the score was 8 to nothing. Yeah, he has a no-hitter, but he's just coming back off the DL. Why risk it? They've got this team can win the World Series, and it's just not worth it. And even Strasburg said that after the game, he wasn't concerned at all. And I think that's what Dusty Baker brings to the Nationals. He he looks long term. He's trying to win a World Championship. He's never won one either. And he he looks down the road and says, "Hey, we've got an all-star pitcher here. Why risk it?" And imagine, Dave, what would have happened. Had he gone for the, and don't forget he had what 108 pitches after seven innings. 100. Well, he had 109 when he pulled him with six and two thirds. Yeah, so he had another two and a third innings to go. He could have thrown another 30 or 35 pitches, uh, and now he's up to 140 pitches for a no hitter. Not worth it. Not even close to being worth it. So I think Dusty Baker did the right thing, and you know if if there's something. If it's a one-to-nothing game and it's in September and you're going for a playoff spot, yeah. Yeah, I'd leave him out there and, and let him see if he could win the game and get the no-hitter. But the no-hitter was clearly secondary to what Dusty and the Nats were thinking. Well, here, here's my part, my point about this, Mark. Where, where did this magic number of 109 come up with? I, yeah, I know, okay, it could have been 110, it could have been 105. I get that. But, you know, they have babied this guy long enough. There comes a time where a guy has got to learn to run after he learns to walk. And if you keep, you know, picking the kid up after he falls down every time, he's never going to learn to pick himself up. And that's what I'm feeling here about Strasburg. Every time this guy's got a small ache or pain, they've got to put him either on the DL. He's been on the DL now seven times in his career over minute Things, Mark. Now, well, you did, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Dave. First of all, you don't know they're minute things. He's been on. Well, you said it. You, you said know, it for me. I was going to ask you how many times has a guy been on the DL, and the answer is seven. seven times. Well, that is to my point. What if a guy is DL prone? Why would you put him out there in a game that doesn't matter? You're going to win the game. What's the point? Why risk? I, it? I understand that, Mark. But there comes a time, isn't there, where he's got to push through this? Not, not when you're ahead eight to nothing in a game where it doesn't matter and you're going to kill this team anyway. If, it, if it's against the Dodgers in the playoffs in September, yeah, you're pitching against Kershaw, yeah, leave him out there. I agree, but there was nothing. There was not one thing to be gained by leaving him out there beyond 109 pitches because for, for what? A no hitter? What, what's that? Okay, I'm, I'm going to take the devil's advocate on that. What you just said, Mark. Okay. The time to do it is right then and there when he's up eight to nothing to force him through that point so that if you get to the point where you just brought up against the Dodgers or the Giants in the playoffs down the road, at least he's done it and he knows how to get there. Right now he's got no clue how to get there. The other thing that I disagree with that is that you don't know what's going through his head. Is he going to go out there because he has a no hitter and he's trying to get the no hitter? He's going to amp it up. He's going to try for the no-hitter, throw harder than he should, and that's what you risk. And I think Dusty Baker was absolutely right in this, and he would have been pilloried, Baker would have been, had he left him in there, and the guy would have thrown 130 pitches, and then in a week the guy goes into DL. I mean, he would have been run out of Washington, and and the, the, the agent for Strasburg would have Well, I'm not trained. asking him to go just for the just for the no-hitter. Well, what's, no, what's I, that's, the point that's not what I'm saying. There was no point in it. There was Why no couldn't point. he finish the inning? Who cares? If, if, the, if they probably had a pitch count on him of about 100, and then he kept, you know, okay, one more hitter, one more hitter, and it got to be 109, they said, that's it. Let's cut, cut it off. 
And there was no reason, there was not one reason to leave him out there. I don't know, you could say that about a few times, and I'm going to bring up Terry Francona here in a little bit. This might be a good segue into it. You know, I, I could say that a few times where Francona has left his pitchers in to 115 to 120 to get a complete game. Well, now, I'm not saying that Strasburg should have been left in for the complete game. Don't get me wrong, Mark. But what I'm saying is, why couldn't he finish the inning? Where where did this this number of 109 come up at? It doesn't matter. It could be, you're right, it could have been 95, 100, 105. But he went over whatever they said they were going to cut him off at. And I, I think if you know, you, you've been an athlete and you know a guy's pitching a no-hitter, he's going to start humping up there because, okay, I'm going to try for a no-hitter. And maybe even subconsciously. He throws harder than he should, and he can get hurt, and it, there was no point in it. But back to Francona and leaving a guy out there for 115, 120 pitches for a complete game, it depends on the situation. And number two, it depends on how many times they have been on the DL. This guy's been on the DL for for seven times. He just signed a $120 million contract. They're not going to risk it over a, a stupid no-hitter in the middle of the season uh, when it doesn't mean anything. I think Dusty Baker did it absolutely correctly. Oh, I Like I said, I have no problems with him pulling him prior to the no-hitter being completed. No problem at all. Matter of fact, if, if he'd have pulled him after the seventh inning, Mark, I'd have fine with me. But what gets me is is that he had to pull him with two outs in the seventh inning. He couldn't let him go one more out. What what? <laughs> Why are you hung up on I, I know you're saying what difference does it make, but the thing about it is they've babied this guy for so long. Is he ever going to break through a wall? I don't know, but if I just put $120 million into a kid like this who, who is, has a penchant for uh, arm injuries or injuries, it doesn't have to be his arm, he, he can get hurt. He throws unbelievably hard. It's, it's stress on his body. I don't understand why an extra third of an inning is an issue. If they, if they had a, a pitch count on him and he exceeded it, then pull him. I think they did the right because thing. Because this kid never seems to be able to finish anything. Oh, I, I disagree. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, when, only, when has what, he ever finished, Mark? <laughs> he, he's finished enough that the Nats gave him a $120 million contract over seven years, and that's, that's the point. You want to protect that asset, and they have done that. And they, they're preparing for the playoffs. There's only three months left in the season. I think they did. I don't know what their pitch count was for him, but he obviously exceeded it because they did go out and get him in the middle of the inning. Maybe they well, saw. Well, here's some- another thing. I, I understand what you're saying, and, and I somewhat agree with it. But here's the other thing that bothers me about Steven Strasburg. Every time there is one bit of anticipation towards something that this kid does, he always finds a way out. For example, three weeks ago, you and I discussed on the Monday night show that he was going up against Clayton Kershaw for the first time. And 20 minutes before the start, Mark, he had to back out because of the back injury that put him on the DL. Something like this always happens with this kid, and I'm almost starting to think that it's a character issue. Well, I disagree with you. He can't get... You know, if you've got a back issue, all the more you pull him after six and two-thirds yesterday, why why risk it? There's nothing to be gained by it. And to to turn this into a character issue with him, I mean, he, he's a huge asset to, to that organization down the road. He, he's, he's still in his 20s. He's a young man. So if you have to baby him a little bit, baby him. I mean, what, what's? it's not like he is afraid to go out there and pitch. He wants to pitch. And they almost, you know, he almost didn't start yesterday because this was the first start back from being on the DL. And they were going to hold him back one more day to give him an extra day's rest, but they decided to pitch, pitch him. And he pitches a no-hitter for six and two-thirds innings. So, uh, you know, the, the, the kid is an unbelievable talent. And outside of Kershaw, I can't think of a pitcher I'd want to have on my roster more than this kid. This guy can throw a no-hitter every time out. He's, he's Would you trade great. him even up right now for J.J. Hoover? <laughs> oh, God. Why'd you Which bring leads that up? us into another stat, another <laughs> another pitcher, <clears throat> supposedly. What, J.J. Hoover? Yes. 
He right now he is the worst pitcher in baseball, and that's not an opinion. That's statistical proof. This guy's ERA is around 14, and he he's among the worst in the history of baseball who have pitched as many innings as he's pitched this year. And not only that, he's he's part of a pitching staff right now that is the worst in baseball history. Now, let that sink in for a minute. It's the worst ERA in baseball history by almost a run. If they if they continue at their present pace, they will shatter the record for the worst ERA. They will shatter the record for the most home runs given up by a team. Right now they're on a pace to give up 285 home runs. The record is 241. I mean, they're going to blow that by that record in August. This I have never in my life seen a pitching staff like this. And if it doesn't if it doesn't require a complete rehab of the the Reds management and and their pitching coaches and their manager, I don't know what does. You know, offensively this team isn't awful. I mean, they're scoring plenty of runs to win. But the pitching staff is absolutely it's almost fun to watch because you know you're going to see some action when somebody comes out of the bullpen. They're going to give up Mark, four, five, six runs every time. Doesn't there come a point where the Reds have a duty to their fans at least to get rid of the, especially a guy like J.J. Hoover, and bring somebody, another warm body, up from the minor leagues? I'm telling you, Mark, you could send out a kid from single A, and his ERA probably wouldn't be 14 out of the bullpen. Well, they did. They brought up Kivas Sampson, and in his first three outings, he gave up three runs each time. Okay? that That's an ERA, ERA of 27. So they so, brought up the wrong guy. So bring up somebody else. They, they, they brought up, Dave, believe me, I've looked at that roster. <clears throat> they have guys down there who could come up and help, but they don't want that clock starting with them. This Amir Garrett, the left-hander, I mean, he's tearing it up. Uh, I think he had a one, I mean, in fact, at 095 ERA and AA, they moved him to AAA, and now he's got a 1.15 ERA. He's still in at 98-99. He's a left-hander, 6'5". Uh, he can bring it. They've got Robert Stevenson who's pitching well. They've they got people they can bring up, but why bring them up in a year where the Reds are going to finish not only in last place, they're going to be the worst team in baseball again, one of the you know one of the two worst teams in baseball for the second year in a row, and I understand that that they, they don't want the clock running on a Robert Stevenson, but the, the, the rest of the the roster is so horrific. You have guys down there that shouldn't even be in AAA, much less the major leagues. I mean, they're bringing up guys in AAA with an ERA over five in AAA, and of course they come to the big leagues and they get absolutely hammered. So there's there's no light at the end of this tunnel, David. I mean, it, that's that's the frightening thing for Reds fans. And I, I think everybody who follows the Reds religiously, as I have done for a long time, this is not a bad team. This is an embarrassment. And it, it's, the, it's the worst baseball team, not Reds team. It, it's as bad almost as the 1961 New York Mets. And, and this team could lose close to that many games. It's, what, 120 they, they lost that year? Uh, this team will lose well over 100 games this year. Well, going into today's action, they were 30-53. and 53. The Indians were 49-32. and 32. And it's hard to believe, Mark, that these two teams had virtually the same record in April. Yeah, and, you know, the Reds started off 3-0. <laughs> they did? Yeah, they won, I think they won five of their first six. And, and so the, the wheels have completely fallen off. Uh, since that time, and I, I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that um, the manage, manager is going to be gone. Uh, a couple coaches are going to be gone during the All Star break, and you know. Uh, you think Price will be fired during the All Star yeah, break? I do. I, I think he'll be fired in the All Star break. Uh, they, they, this is the Reds expected to have a poor year this year. You know, the scuttlebutt was behind the scenes. Well, we're going to lose ninety to ninety five games. Suck it up, you know, we're going to be better next year and, and we'll move on from there. This team has imploded. And what I'm seeing now are half, half-hearted, 
I was going to say something else. Half-hearted efforts by the players. Yesterday there was a hard ground ball down the third baseline, and Suarez, rather than diving for the ball, just took an ole at it. Joey Votto, the last month of the season, I've never seen him play worse defense at first base. He just olays the ball. He takes everything to the side. He doesn't get in front of the ball. Brandon Phillips, he he's playing in a fog. Nobody cares. Jay Bruce wants to be traded. These guys have given up, and that goes to Brian Price. Now, I don't know that Jim Riggleman, who I'm sure will be the guy who steps in, can do anything about that. But this team is now on a pace. I mean, again, they're going to lose 110 to 112 games, which is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, after the first 82 games, the Reds were 30 and 52. Yeah. So let's just say 30 and 51 throughout their first 81 games. That's half the season, Mark. So you just double that. Let's say they play the same way in the second half of the year. That's 60 and 102. Yeah. And I think that's optimistic. I don't think they'll play that well the second half. Well, and they've got mostly the division in the last month of the year. And they're going to they're going to trade probably two or three top players that they have right now. And I, I think the big trade that no one's been talking about that I think is going to occur is Homer Bailey. I think Bailey's going to be traded. And he's got, he'll come back after the All-Star break. He'll have three or four starts until the trading deadline, and I think he'll be gone because there's a lot of teams that would love to have a Homer Bailey you know, down the road, and uh, he's, he's not going to help the Reds this year. He's not going to help the Reds next year. They're going to lose a, probably 100 games next year. So he, Bailey will be gone. Bruce is definitely going to be gone. And uh, as a matter of fact, I heard this morning, that Jay Bruce may be going to Washington. Dusty Baker apparently wants him, and, and Jay likes Dusty. They got along great. And uh, and then the other teams that have expressed interest in him as recently as yesterday, Cleveland, the Dodgers, the Giants, the White Sox, and the Royals. And with Jay Bruce having somewhat of a renaissance year, he's hitting 275, 17 home runs, 60 RBIs, and he leads the league in triples, in third and doubles. And this guy's having a month. This guy could drive in 120 runs this year, get 35, 40 home runs. Well, what makes him so attractive, Mark, is the fact that it, there's a club option on his contract, too, so they can keep him for another year. That's right. $13 million for a guy who is hitting 35, 40 home runs is, is in today's world, a bargain. So, yeah, he's uh, he's made himself a very valuable commodity, and... Um, it really depends on who they're going to get for him. But with that many teams interested in Jay Bruce, uh, it's going to be hard to make a bad deal uh, to get rid of him. And then the other question is, what do you do with Zach Cozart, um, who is he's playing great baseball. He's hitting 265, playing great defense, 11 home runs, uh, 35 RBIs. He's For a shortstop, he's having a great year. Uh, and, you know, the Reds have, I, I guess, if you look at the long term, uh, they have no place to go the next two years. So now you start looking at bringing in players in their early 20s, late teens, who can be in place in 2019 when you conceivably are a contender. The other thing the Reds are going to have if they make these trades, if they trade Cozart, Bailey, and Bruce, they're going to have a ton of money. They're going to have probably more money available to just about anybody other than the Dodgers if they want to spend it. So they could ramp this thing up quickly if they sign the right young players and their draft choices are what they should be. Now, speaking of that, uh, yeah, I don't know if you heard this or not, but the Reds did sign their number one goal on the international market, Alfredo Rodriguez, yes. uh, shortstop. Now, I've heard he's, he's ranked sixth in the MLB's international top prospects. Uh, so he's, he's a good player. But if you've looked at his statistics, Dave, I mean, it's, he was hitting 245, 250, 260 in Cuba, in the, in the minor leagues of Cuba. I, the guy better be a great shortstop or he better be putting on weight. He, he was, he's a young kid. He's only, what, 18, 19 years old. And, um, I don't know. And maybe they see something that nobody else says or sees, but uh, he got 
He got good ratings, but this kid got the biggest bonus in the Reds in the history of the Reds for an international player, seven million dollars. Well, and you know, Mark, if you look at the standings, the way they sit right now, the only team that I could see that's a contender right now that seems to be needing a shortstop, and that's even a a, a guess right now, would be the New York Mets. They went out. They were so desperate for a shortstop, Mark. They went out and they got Jose Reyes again. But San Francisco really doesn't need a shortstop. The Dodgers definitely don't. The Cubs don't. St. Louis, maybe. But are they in contention for anything other than the wild card? That's it because going into today's action, they were eight games behind the Cubs. Washington, they really don't need a shortstop. The Mets, of course, do. Maybe Miami. Texas doesn't need one. Houston definitely doesn't need one. Baltimore, they like Machado at short right now. Boston, they don't need a shortstop. Cleveland definitely doesn't need a shortstop. Detroit, maybe. Kansas City doesn't. Those are the teams that are in contention for playoff berths. Well, again, I don't know where Cozart goes. He's a bargain. He's cheap right now for the Reds. They may keep him. I think he's the least likely to be traded just because he's cheap. But the Reds have to find a way to get rid of Brandon Phillips. And I think yesterday on the radio they said that Brandon Phillips asked if he would waive his trade clause now. He said he would. So I think when, you, when you're playing on a team like this, when they can lose between 100 and 110 games almost assuredly, it's no fun. It is no fun to go out there and get your head smacked in every day. Uh, baseball is, is tough enough when you're winning, but when you're losing, it's, it's really tough. And Brandon Phillips has had, he had a great start to the year. If you remember, he had six home runs, I think, by, by May 4th or 5th. And he hasn't had a home run since that time. It's the longest dearth in his career of not hitting a home run. He's not—he's not even getting extra base hits. He's hitting singles to right field. So his his performance is now—he he could have been playing for the Nationals right now, and he chose not to. I, I have no clue what he was thinking about that, but uh, he's now. He's going to be. The rumor has it that they're going to tell him you're not going to play the second half of the year. So get over it. We're going to put Peraza at second and see what he can do. And why not? Why not do that? No, I, I agree with that. Agree with that totally. But, you know, could you see a package where Phillips and Bruce would go together to Washington? Yeah, but where are you going to play? Where are you going to play him? Where are going to play uh, Brandon Phillips now? Second base. They've been looking for a second baseman ever since you Daniel know, Murphy went to the Mets. Yeah, Murphy's sitting 350 and leading the league. You're going to bench him? Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, they've also got a, a dearth at third base. And you and I have always thought that in order to uh, extend Phillips' career, he'd go to third. But they got run down at, at third base. He, he's better than Phillips right now. I mean, I, there's no place for Phillips on that team anymore. And Were I you surprised anybody... that Matt Latos got picked up by the Nationals? I did see that, yeah. Put a minor league deal, yeah. Yeah. Were you shocked at that? Uh, a little bit, only because of Dusty's connection with the Reds. And when Latos left, he, he was blistering the Reds, and, and, you know, Dusty was part of that. So, yeah, I was a little surprised he went there. You know, let's let's put the Reds' relief pitching in perspective, Mark. This This will put it into perspective for those who don't know just how bad the Reds' relief pitching is. In that 19-inning game that the Indians played on Friday, their bullpen combined for 13 innings pitched of shutout baseball. 13. Amazing. Have the Reds strung together 13 consecutive relief innings pitched of shutout baseball at all this year? No, Dave. And, and let me let me put this in perspective for you. What you just mentioned for a Reds fan is unbelievable. You'll find this unbelievable. The Reds relief pitchers have given up 18 home runs to the first batter they have faced coming into a game. Oh. That's, it, it's, only, it's only July, and 18 times a reliever has come in, and the first hitter he has faced has hit a home run. So it's kind of hard to string together any kind of streak, <laughs> like you just mentioned the Indians had, 
when the first batter they face 18 times has hit a home run. And three of those have been grand slams. Mark, I want to discuss a couple of things that, that came to light to me over the weekend. First of all, on Friday's game, the 19-inning affair against Toronto, and then on Saturday. Mark, you and I have talked about the umpiring in Major League Baseball and how instant replay has really helped things out. But I've got to say, in Friday's game, it was the absolute worst umpired game behind home plate I have ever seen in Major League Baseball. I've been watching baseball now for a good 50 years. I have never seen a guy behind home plate that had no clue like this guy had behind home plate. It was absolutely atrocious. I know you have talked on several occasions where we could see a day coming up in the baseball horizon where umpires will no longer be needed because they've got that pitch tracker for for home plate now. They've got the instant replay. Everything can be done by computer. I've always poo-pooed it, but after watching the game on Friday, Mark, and Toronto Encarnacion, Edwin Encarnacion, got thrown out in the first inning arguing a ball strike call. Then Russell Martin got thrown out later on in the ball game. Josh Donaldson should have been thrown out early. The only thing about that game, Mark, was that the strike zone was the same for both sides, but the Indians, for some reason, kept their calm with the home plate umpire, both in the field and at the plate. But I have never seen anything like this. Do you really think, and, and if you do, how soon will it be before baseball just goes with the pitch tracker? Well, I, I think it, it'll be sooner than later. Uh, this is not something that, that that is going to be 50 years down the road. I think in the next decade, uh, you're going to have instances like on Friday. And, and you and I could both point, if you go on YouTube, you'll see you know the worst call of all time, the worst home plate umpire of all time. And some of these guys have no clue what they're doing out there. They're inconsistent. And the problem for the players is each home plate umpire has their own zone. And that's what would be eliminated if you were using uh, a pitch track because they would adjust it for the height of the player and he would have his own zone. But he would he would know what his zone is. And then there's no argument because you know every time a pitch is an inch outside, it's going to be called a ball. Every time it's, it catches a black, it's a strike. You know that. With these umpires, you don't know it. And I'm not sure, you know, you can, this is not a character flaw for the umpires. It's the fact that you can't be consistent. I, I, I've umpired, and I've, I've umpired high school and even some college games where the guys are throwing 94, 95 miles an hour. And it, it, sometimes it is physically hard to follow the movement of a, of a ball, especially when there's late break where it's a fastball that moves. And, you know, the, the, the hitters get upset. And I, I guess I have become, when I, when I ump, I'm a hitter's ump. I'll give the benefit of the doubt to the hitter. And I think you have to go in with a certain mindset. On a close pitch, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the hitter. On, because, number one, it's awfully hard to hit. But that'll make the pitcher throw the ball over the plate if you're going to have a, a um, a rule you're going to follow as an umpire in terms of what you call. But every umpire is different. I'm 6'2". If there's an umpire behind the plate who's 5'10", he's looking at the plate and the player differently than I am. It's because of our height. And there's so much inconsistency that it's not because these are bad guys. It's because it's very difficult to be consistent. So with a pitch track, you would you could set it up, as you know, every every hitter's different. Their size, their height, all those things go into it. But you could you could easily have a you know between the, the the hollow of the knee and under the armpits. That's the strike zone. And it would be so easy to do. It, it it would be very simple to do. And then you'd have no arguments. Just like instant replay has taken out arguments between umpires and managers on ninety percent of the calls. What's to argue that you know it's on it's on camera? It works. So, in answer to your question, I think in the next decade you're going to see that experimented with in the minor leagues, 
and it's going to do away with a lot of the things that happened Friday uh, with the Indians. And a very nice segue, I must say, Mr. Donahue, because the second thing I wanted to bring up was instant replay. What have we always been told about overturning a call, Mark, on instant replay? What What is Major League Baseball, and as a matter of fact, all sports, always told us that they will only overturn a call when? Irrefutable evidence. Correct. Now, I don't know if you had the opportunity to see the play at home plate in the eighth inning of Saturday's game between the Indians and Toronto. Did you? No, I did not. All right. There's a play at home plate. Ezekiel Carrera, who used to be a former Indian, the bases are, he, he was at third, and the throw came home. There was a bouncer to third. The throw came home. Ezekiel Carrera dove into home plate, and it appeared that Jan Gomes tagged him on the foot before he touched home plate. By the way, it was a 6-6 game in the bottom of the eighth. It appeared that he touched Ezekiel Carrera. Mark, I watched this thing seven times, literally seven times. The umpire, by the way, called him out at home. It, it, so, so you went into the replay with the premise that he was out. Mark, I have no idea if Jan Gomes touched him. I, I couldn't tell. It, it appeared that he did because Carrera's foot changed direction at the same time that Gomes came down on his foot. But nonetheless, Major League Baseball, whomever was the umpire in New York watching this play, came back and called him safe. Now, that would have been the third out of the inning. And instead of going into the ninth inning, down 7-6, to six, where eventually it was 9-6, to six, we went into the ninth inning. It would have been the third out of the inning. We go into the ninth inning, tied at 6-6. Six, six. I don't understand anymore, Mark. I, I've seen enough of this. And by the way, this replay took four and a half minutes for them to try to decipher this. Mark, if you can't figure it out right away in two or three looks, there's not con- any conclusive evidence in this. I, I agree. And, you know, again, some umpires do it right and some don't. And I'm a big believer in instant replay. I think it's the right thing to do with Major League Baseball. They're, by and large, they're going to get the plays right. I'd say 95% of the time they're going to get it right. I have not seen many plays where it looked like they got it wrong after, you know, two or three, four minutes of looking at a play. And I, I think the same thing is going to happen with the strike zone. Uh, it's just, it's so inconsistent. But I, I think technology has a place in baseball. And of course, the only place you, you would have that kind of computerized approach to the strike zone would be the major leagues. It's not like umpires are going to be out of work. I mean, they're going to, there's millions of games played every year in the United States where you're going to need umpires. Uh, so it would just be at the major league level. And you can't have a challenge on a strike zone with, with umpires. So it would, my God, it would be, you would challenge just about every at bat. But the inconsistency with the strike zone, I think, is, is, I don't know another sport that allows that kind of thing to happen so consistently other than the NBA on fouls. Oh, I mean, don't get me started on that. Well, we won't get into basketball, but basically if you, if you don't follow the NBA, you could call a foul on every play in the NBA, especially if the ball is down low. And I don't know why – the NBA doesn't do something about that because it's so subjective. I mean, during the playoffs, it, it looked like the center for, for Cleveland was getting mugged every time he got the ball. I mean, you know, both hands being draped around him and pushed, two hands driven out of the lane, and they don't call a foul. And then the next time down, he gets tapped on the elbow and they call a foul. It, it's no consistency to it at all. And I don't want baseball to get that way in the strike zone. But it really is an issue, and you bring up a very good point about no umpire does it the same. That's the problem. And, and, and that is the one thing that I have always been consistent about, Mark, is that if you want to speed up the game, call a strike a strike. That's very simple. That, that's all you need to do. Just the, the strike zone is from, it's supposed to be from the letters, the armpits, however you want to put it. Down to the top of the kneecap. Well, it's and not that that's you not call a strike, strike a strike. 
that that's true but so many times my big bugaboo is not a very seldom do you see a complaint by a pitcher that a ball is not called a strike that's the rarity what is common is the hitters have they complain almost on every at bat because one time a pitch on the outside corner is called a ball the next time it's called a strike it's the inconsistency and the Correct. high and the high strike now it, it, the other day the, the reds were playing I, I guess it was the cubs and they kept calling strikes just across the chest i mean right below the neck was a strike and th- that hasn't been called a strike all year and then yesterday they were calling the low strike so it's it's so inconsistent. I think that the hitters get so frustrated because you you just don't know what these guys are going to call. At the same time, I get frustrated with some of the hitters. If the ball is not right down the middle of the plate or right in their quote unquote zone, they won't swing. Like Joey Votto, I, it, it's it's maddening that he takes so many third strikes for for a hitter of his ilk to do that. I, I don't understand why he wasted bats. If you got two strikes on you, why wouldn't you be more aggressive in going after a pitch? I, I agree with you totally. I mean, it's, it's a situation where I think, you know, Major League Baseball really has got to start taking this seriously and looking at just exactly what it is that they need to do to get it taken care of because there just doesn't appear to be any rhyme or reason as to what is happening here. Well, when we take over baseball, we'll fix it, Dave. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and do that. But the the thing about it is, Mark, a couple of things I want to bring up about the the uh, Indians. A couple of nice awards. Danny Salazar was named Pitcher of the Month for June in the American League. He was named Pitcher of the Month uh, because he had a five and O record throughout the month of June with a 1.91 ERA. And Tyler Naquin was named the Rookie of the Month. He hit 338 in the month of June, Mark. But Abraham Almonte ended up coming back yesterday from his 82-game suspension, his 80-game suspension, actually. And, of course, they put him right into the lineup and, and put him into center field and sat Naquin down, which is a typical Indians move, a typical Terry Francona move. You know, you've got a kid, Mark, that's playing playing his butt off, hit three thirty eight in the month of June. He's hitting over three thirty for the entire year. He's been sent up and down three times now for the Indians, and they just can't put this kid in center field and let him play. they got to bring in a guy that got suspended for the first part of the year and put him in center field. Well, that's a nice problem to have when you have that kind of talent and depth in your organization that you can sit a guy hitting 330 and put somebody else in to play for him. So I'm glad I don't, you can look at it like that. Well, hey, this just came across you. the wire. You are a, so, a soothsayer, my friend. You you should be Karnak the Magnificent <laughs> what, is what, what you should be. What happened? The Cincinnati Reds just named a new pitching coach. Aha! Mark Reagans is their new pitching coach. And the Reds also announced that Jim Riggleman is moving from third base to bench coach with Billy Hatcher moving over to third from first base. Ousted pitching coach Jay Pico and bench coach Jay Bell. Yeah, I'm sure those two guys have a lot to do with the Reds losing 55 games this year or whatever they've lost, uh, 52 games. So uh, that, those are not big changes, but I think what it does. You know, Billy Hatcher was at third base yesterday, coaching. And now, before now, let me let me put let me add this before you go on. This is an interesting little tidbit. The team has also announced that Brian Price will return next year. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that all came out in the announcement earlier. Just broke the wire. I'll be darned. Well, so again, you, you, something you know has to be done. But if if they if they're not blaming Brian Price, then who are they? Who's to blame for this? It's got to be Walt Jockety, Mark. Bingo. But I don't understand how they don't do anything with him either. 
Yeah, that, that's that's the amazing thing to me that that what the things you just mentioned to me have abs- absolutely nothing to do really with what the performance of this team has been this year, and how Walt Jockety can skate over this thing and not be held accountable for what this team has done is it, just beyond belief to me. He is the cause of this, plain and simple. It's not the players on the field because he's the one who puts the players on the field. You can't blame them if they're not good. You can't blame the players necessarily for the selection of a pitching staff that is the worst in the history of baseball. Now, David, we're talking 1869 history. 1869, and this is the worst pitching staff ever been assembled by an organization. And you're telling me that Walt Jockety doesn't have responsibility for that. Oh, I, I think he, the entire responsibility falls about upon Walt Jockety. I have never thought, there was a reason that St. Louis let this guy go. And there was a reason that St. Louis rejuvenated its organization after he left. And if you just look at the rejuvenation of the Cardinal organization since Jockety left and the, the decline of the Reds organization since Jockety took over, they coincide with each other, Mark. There were just a couple of years there where the Cardinals were on the way up, the Reds were on the way down, that they were pretty much even. It's not that way anymore. No, it's not even close. And then you have the resurgence of the Pirates, or the, yes, <clears throat> yeah, the Pirates, and, of course, the Cubs, what they have done in the last two or three years. I mean, the frightening part about all this is the Reds are not only the worst team in the Central Division, they're the worst team by a long shot. Even Milwaukee is much better than Cincinnati. They're competitive. I mean, they're they're winning some games at least. But the Reds, um, with this organization and the moves that they they have made, where they've given up a guy like Frazier, and they who do they get for him? They get Peraza. You're trading away an all-star third baseman who. I know last week at one time he was leading the major leagues in home runs. And you get a, a young guy like Peraza who will probably never hit a home run. <laughs> I mean, he's a nice little player, but he's a middle infielder that's going to hit 250 or 260, steal 15, 20 bases. And that's what you got for Todd Frazier? Who did you get for the greatest closer in the history of baseball, of Aldous Chapman? Who did you get? Virtually Nothing. Nothing. So that's my yeah. point. That those are decisions made at the general manager level. And if you are that out of it, you have talent like that, and you get nothing for it, then you're the wrong guy for the, at, the, at the wrong time. But yet he tried to hold up the Indians in the trade for Todd Frazier. He wanted Bradley Zimmer, Clint Frazier, and Danny Salazar. And the Indian, he knew, Mark, there was no way the Indians would give up those three, maybe one of the three, possibly two out of the three. But they were not going to give up all three. And according to Tom Hamilton and from other reports that I've heard, Mark, Jockety never moved off those three. Hmm. And he got less than that from the White Sox for Frazier. I don't understand what he does. And now he wants to make some changes on the coaching staff that he thinks is going to appease the fans, that this is what the fans are going to look for. And and Brian Price, you know, I, I've never thought Brian Price was the problem. I've never thought Brian Price was the problem. But I've always had a problem with the fact that the Reds were putting him through this and not giving him any support whatsoever. And by support, I mean extending his contract. Now they make some changes in the coaching staff. They make it more convenient for Riggleman to take over the team. But then they come out and they say the price is going to be back for a third season. It's just make, they try to continually skate two sides of an issue. Hey, Dave, by the way, just for clarification, uh, I see now the release the Reds made. Actually, Mark Sheldon of MLB.com made it. It's a little different than what I heard you say, and maybe you said it and I, and I, and I misheard it. But let's clarify it for the fans. Uh, I'll read this release. Uh, the Reds dismissed pitching coach Mark Riggins on Monday and elevated bullpen coach Mac Jenkins to his role. AAA Louisville pitching coach Ted Power was promoted to take over as Reds' bullpen coach, which I did not hear. Riggins, 59, was 
in his first full season with the Reds after being the organization's minor league pitching coordinator for the past four years. Cincinnati pitchers entered the day with the major league worst 5.51 ERA, a large reason behind the team's 30-53 and record. With 144 home runs allowed, the Reds are also in pace to smash the major league record. They also lead the league in walks. So um, Ted Power, who I thought was a good coach, he's been at AAA for the last three or four years, he's coming in as a bullpen coach. It does not say anything about Brian Price being extended. So I'll look for that. Uh, that uh, of, of all the news today, that is the one that surprises me most, that he, he would it, be um, back next year. What uh, what makes Ted Power the guy? I, I think it's lack of anything else. Uh, I don't know that he is the the answer, but who else are you going to bring in? And Riggins simply was, I think, way over his head in terms of what uh, he was bringing to the pitching staff, obviously. Uh, you can't have a team pitching staff this bad and keep uh, people in place. You can't. That's why I'm really surprised that uh, that you, you read something about, um, let me see, uh, Brian Price being extended into next year. And then yeah, now they are taking that back. Now, now they are actually taking it back on the report on Bleacher Report. What are they saying now? That that was not part of it. Okay. Yeah, that if everything that you read that surprised me the most that they would they would extend him now after this debacle of a season. Uh, it, it just makes no sense that they would they would do that at this point. If anything, they would fire him and bring in Riggleman let him be interim coach or interim manager for the rest of the year and then make a move uh, next year depending on how the roster looks. So you think this is just a precursor for them to make Riggleman the manager at the All-Star break? Yeah, I do. I said that early in the broadcast, and I was a little surprised that you read that uh, he had been extended. I, I had not anticipated that, and I think I think that would be a huge mistake. Well, this is this is an interesting maneuver by the Reds, nonetheless. Um, I, I I don't know how in the world you could juggle your coaching staff. I, I wouldn't think Brian Price had any say in this. No, I doubt it too. But you know, again, we, we keep coming back to uh, Walt Jockety and, and his his role in all this, and it has to stop with him. He's the guy. He's the one who's made the decisions. Uh, he's the one who didn't get anything for Frazier or Chapman. When you had two huge, huge assets that you had, and why he panicked and, and traded Chapman when he did is just astonishing to me for what they got. They got nothing for him. And I think he's, I think he's what, 15 for 15 in save opportunities this year uh, again. And, and the Yankees may, may trade him. And you watch what the Yankees get for him. Well, and and there have been a lot of talk. There's even been talks, Mark, that the Indians were interested in Chapman. Well, who wouldn't? I mean, if you're a contender and you can get a guy who shortens the game by one inning, you play eight inning games, and you have another with the bullpen you already have. You probably you're playing a seven inning game. I mean, for a contender, having Chapman in your bullpen is my gosh, that is just a huge asset you have. So yeah, I think well, he'll, he'll be traded. Well, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get into my misgivings about Terry Francona. We'll do that next week if, if it <laughs> continues on. Of course, next week's the All-Star break, so we'll be talking to you again next Monday night. But the Indians, they've got Detroit after tonight for tomorrow and Wednesday, and they're expecting sellout crowds for both of those games, Mark. And then they've got the Yankees coming into town for a four-game set Thursday through Sunday. Of course, the Reds, they've got... The Cubs tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, they're off on Thursday, and then they go to Miami to face the Marlins all weekend long. So that's what's happening. Mark, all-star break next week. Very quickly, who do you think the Reds rep will be? Uh, I think it'll be Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce? I'll take Adam Duvall. All right. And I think there's going to be a couple from the Indians put on, so we won't even get into that. Mark, we'll talk to you again next Monday night. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for us on this Monday night. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing this afternoon's show, but also our thanks to you for listening here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue saying join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Good night. The Wiz kids have won it. 
Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the